<laughs> Welcome. The the soul, the soul, the neshama. So let's let's expand this a little bit more. And I'm getting deeper into this, and some things have happened, which have I think really helped me. The idea is as follows: in order for us to interact with the external, the environment outside of us, we need to have a series of uh, equipment that assists us in that interaction. If that equipment is faulty or doesn't work, so we can't we can't interact. For example. If, in order for me to take in the the world from a visual perspective, I need to have eyes, and those eyes have to be fully operational. And in doing so, I'm able to say things like, wow, that's a beautiful view. Oh, my gosh, look at that tree. The sky looks fantastic today. That's external environment that I can take in, process, and respond to. If Khalil, a person, doesn't have eyes, you can't go outside and say it's a beautiful view. You can, however, if you have a sense of touch and feeling, you can say the air is absolutely warm and cuddly. You can say it smells great, and you can say I can hear the birds tweeting. Every point of interaction that we have with the external world is filtered through a series of portals, namely our five senses. When those senses are up and running, we can comment, we can relate, we can process, and we can essentially become um, a moving part in this dialogue between us and the external world. Correct? Mm-hmm. So, in other words, and thereby you can, you can interact, you can dialogue, you can, you can respond, you can interact with the universe if those portals will all be closed. So essentially you'd be isolated and you wouldn't be able to experience anything externally. Even though there's a lot of external stuff going on, you'd have no access to it. So if a person's blind, deaf, dumb, has no sense of taste or smell, and there's a huge amount going on around him, even if he's still, his heart is still beating, he has no capacity to interact with the world around him. But when your senses are up and running, you can interact with the physical universe. But there's another universe that operates. It's called the emotional universe. And the emotional universe also requires a series of, in inverted commas, senses to process it. It needs eyes and ears and needs to taste and smell. For example, when you are um, connecting to another person, you want to experience an an emotional connection to someone else. Uh, Someone is crying. In order for you to receive the poignancy of that emotion, you need to have a crying limb inside of you. What does that mean? When it comes to the emotional world, in order for me to experience the emotions of the other, I need to have experienced those emotions inside of myself. If I have no emotional depth, if I have no access to feelings of, from the range of anger to tranquility, from happiness to depression, from um, arrogance to humility, I have no capacity to experience those in others. In the emotional world, the development and the depth and the power and the awareness and the concretization of my own emotional components provide me the resources to relate to the other's emotional world and to process emotions in general. Even though those emotions utilize perhaps the five senses for some of the information that's given to them, they are not the five senses. There's, much, there's, there's another dimension. There's, there's an emotional sense that we have. And people can have all their five senses fully operational, but if their emotional self is not developed, they can be callous, uncaring, not because they are malicious, but simply because they don't have a receptor for the emotions that are going on around them. In order for us to advance and develop, we need to actually 
quite proactively address, develop, and confront our emotional world. And the more we do that, the more capable we become of emotions like empathy, compassion, um, awareness, and real deep connection. If our emotional world is closed down, you sometimes there are individuals who have, you know, um, challenges like people who are on the spectrum, and someone who's severely autistic. It's almost as if the emotional world is inaccessible to those people. They're closed off, and when they see people suffering, uh, a great, a great reference point would be Temple Grandin, who's spoken extensively about her autism, an extremely talented woman. Temple Grandin, the name familiar to anyone? Temple Grandin wrote, wrote a series of books. Um, she is autistic, and they made a, a, an incredible film about her. I think it's even called Temple Grandin. She she became she's autistic, and she describes the struggles growing up where she just she couldn't get what people wanted from her. She just couldn't get it. She became extremely successful because she had a uncanny ability to um, visually and experientially get into the minds of animals. And she designed a series of cow dips, and she even designed what the most humane shchita plant, where because of her intuitive understanding of how cows feel and um, how nervous they get, she's, she's just automatic for her. She realized what would be a point, a point that you could actually bring them to the shchita without them having panic or any sign of stress beforehand. So, for example, one of the things you realize when they, the cow dips is when they have to wash the cattle, so they'd lead them into this, into this trough with this, this cleaning liquid, but she recognized that they, they felt insecure walking in because there was no solid footing for them. So they'd all panic, panic, and as a result, in every kind of cow dip, there would be cows that would die. And she just, by simply understanding how their feet were working, she created a humane cow dip. And of course, the cattle went in, washed themselves calmly and came out the other side. So she writes about her inability to, to process emotions. And it's, it, it was so frustrating because she had seen people reacting to her in a given way. She could process it logically, but she can process it, process it emotionally. And a lot of people have that, that they, you know, to d- different degrees. And that's why it's called on the spectrum, because it is a spectrum. So people who are severely autistic, they can't get anything. But there are people who are just slightly off. They just socially don't pick up social clues. And that's based on a um, lack of an emotional senses that can actually relate and respond to the, to the prompts around them. So that needs to be developed. In other words, the starting point for everything in terms of interacting with the external is the internal. If my senses are not working properly, I can't get what's outside of me. If my emotions are not fully developed, I can't get what's outside of me. It's no different when it comes to experiencing the spiritual world. If my soul is left dormant and undeveloped, my capacity to experience spirituality around me will be severely diminished. So just as an emotional person walks through a room and he says, wow, that was an intense atmosphere. And the person who's not emotionally developed will say, what What are you talking about? Was this cool? Because he doesn't have the capacity and the sophistication to pick up the signals. So to a person who's spiritually undeveloped could literally walk through a place which is saturated with divinity, with the powerful energy of Kedusha and totally be oblivious to it because he just doesn't have the kalim to, exceed, to receive it. Which is an interesting thing about people's journeys, and this, this can be quite diverse for different people, but people who go to the Western Wall and have a r- variety of different experiences. Um, and there's a famous story about 
one man that did go to the Western Wall and later on, because Aisha Torah is located so conveniently, popped into Aisha Torah to speak with the Rosh Shiva, who at that time was Reb Noach Weinberg, Zecher Tzadik Levrocha. And Reb Noach called him into his office and he said, Rabbi, I have to ask you a question. He said to him, speak. Oh, sir, speak. I don't think he said that. But he said, yeah. So the guy said, I went to, I went to the Western Wall and <clears throat> I must be honest, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel any sense of holiness. So, um, I didn't see anything special. So Reb Noach says to him, well, did you see a Bafustic? So the man said, I beg your pardon. He said, well, did you see a Bafustic? So the man said, well, I don't know. So he says, well, just tell me. He says, well, I can't tell you. He says, well, why can't you tell me? He says, because I don't know what a Bafustic is. So Reb Noach says, thank you. Do you know what Kedusha is? In other words, do you have a model internally that can pick up and register that thing outside of you that you can say with conviction that it's not there? Implying that we need to have that development within before we can see it without. And that's what we briefly saw a few days ago from the Noam Elimelech, you have to first of all develop your own internal capacity of neshama development, soul growth, before you see God outside of yourself. You can't see spirituality if your own spiritual world is impoverished. It just there's no there's no there's no there's no receiver on the other end that has a capacity to take in the external experience that may be transpiring um, outside of you. So that's that's just like the the hakdoma, the introduction to this idea of why is it so important to become uh, experientially experientially connected to our souls. And it's almost like an it's an unspoken about topic. It's like almost taken for granted, which seems absurd. It's like going to gym and no one discussing the fact that you should be building, you know, your muscles. What are you doing here? Like, oh, I'm just like, you know, working these machines. Why are you working the machines? That's a good question. That's a good question. But rather, when you go to gym, you have a very specific focus. And you know today's legs days. Legs day. I mean, if it is. If it's not legs day, so then it shouldn't be legs. But let's say you're going there and you, and you realize, and because it's legs day, so then you're going to be working on your legs. You're going to be doing, you know, I don't know, squats, pastas, uh, and... Uh, all these zachen with legs. <laughs> but if you're doing if you're doing like if you're doing legs day and then you suddenly do like 20, 20 reps on, on the bench press, so then that's not gonna work because it's not gonna help your legs, because your legs are dormant at that point in time. So let me ask ourselves, let's ask ourselves this question. So when we're building this spiritual body, do we know what we're building? Like what 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 are the muscles? What are, what 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 is the muscle group? What what is the anatomy of a soul? Huh. Sounds like a title, my new book. Anatomy of the soul. But what is it? What is it? Yes, okay, Dean. Um, how do we understand experiences where people who are like objectively spiritually devoid go to like the Kotel and have a spiritual experience? Would we say it's it's not it's necessarily not legitimate or or there's way like is is it if you're devoid of that muscle, then you can't experience it or maybe some people will have the muscle without doing work or it was one of those three options I see mm. so thinking into your life what would you what would you think what do you what would, what would you say to answer that question I think I would I would probably think that some people have the muscle it needs to be developed but people can probably like certain things can 
trigger bits of the muscle so they may have that bit developed and they go to the kotel and have a spiritual experience they might be generally spiritually devoid but it's not like a muscle in the traditional sense like if you've never lifted anything you would literally not be able to I think it's probably a bit not necessarily exactly it's more like a talent yeah like a person who's never played tennis but he has a fantastic sense of of hand-eye coordination how to connect his body may just be a natural tennis player yeah, or someone who's bad could also just hit a really good one as, as a fluke. Maybe that's it. It's just a fluke. Maybe. It could be. Yeah, so it could, it could be. I mean, I think it's open. I definitely, from my experience and my own internal experience of growth, I do think that there's a there's there's a huge range of people's innate spiritual intelligence. And it's actually a phrase that if, that my colleague. Reuven Katz coined when, when we are, we're working with a lot of students and we say we feel that some people have high level of spiritual intelligence and spiritual intelligence is very different from cognitive intelligence or emotional intelligence spiritual intelligence is people they, they have a sense of the spiritual world and you definitely get I think get people like that you get people who've got very little sense they're much much more rooted in the material sometimes in the emotional very often people who are rooted in the emotional it's an easier transition to the spiritual and very often people who are very strongly rooted in the material it's a very difficult transition to get to the to, to the to the, the spiritual Jakey how, how can you as you like mm-hmm. measure spiritual someone's spiritual strength like what is an indication of one? you know obviously it's not an objective measurement that I can prove but there's a when when I am interacting with a person and I see their response to certain experiences, so for example, um, you go for a walk and um, you spend a bit of time just meditating, let's say, on the the beautiful and pristine coordination between the trees and the way that the leaves which fall off in the winter to provide less shade when you need it less, become the compost which actually creates the reproduction, the growth, and the the powerful sun that shines and gives the energy which the leaves in the incredible miracle of photosynthesis somehow take energy and make it into food. And you're sitting there and you're just like, there's a certain sense of there's something larger present. And then some people say, it's just a tree. <laughs> like, what's, what's this guy going on about? Like, literally, this is just a tree. I mean, what's the big deal? So that shows like a lesser, a lesser developed or a lesser innate spiritual component, and it can happen with all, all different kinds of things. Um, I'm working within a paradigm. I'm working with the paradigm that, that yeah, I'm working within the paradigm. Of, I'm starting off with the paradigm of tone, seeing, seeing things through that lens, and therefore people who respond much, much, much more fluidly to things like filler. And filler is an interesting one because many people will have very, very, very different experiences when they daven. But some people, when they daven, have a cogent experience of a real dialogue with a higher being. Meaning, some people, when they daven, they feel like they're talking to the wall and they're reading a script. Other people, when they daven, they feel like they're really talking to Hashem. And they feel the presence of Hashem in front of them. Now, that may sound like a little bit too far-fetched, but let's consider it in the realm of halacha. And it becomes actually quite compelling. Because there is a halacha that when I'm davening Shemona Esrei, or you, or you, no one can go within our two-meter range. Two by two. By two four, Arba Amais, one, six feet, whatever. There's, there's, this, there's this like radius around me 
big machlokes if it's di- specifically directly in front of me. But there is this kind of this area where no one can go inside of. I mean, they can't they can't pass in front of me. And the reason given Allah is because they are interrupting between me and the Shekhinah. Which means that there is over there a um, saturation of spiritual energy and someone else's presence will dilute it or interrupt it or obstruct it. Now, if it's there, that means I can feel it, theoretically. If I can feel it, so then it means that the point of prayer will be this really different energetic state to one where I'm just sitting and speaking. And I take three steps forward because I'm entering into a brand new space. And in that space, my level is elevated. And it's interesting that the Gemara says like this, and this is something which I'm just inventing on the spot, or realizing on the spot, or innovating on the spot. The, the Gemara calls Tefillah the following thing. Matters which stand at the height of the world. They're way, way high. And people cheapen them. Which means as follows. If I'm not cheapening prayer, I'm way up there. So understand. Prayer is they're on the top. They're at the height of the world. Which means if I am davening and, I'm, and I am connecting, it means that process is a levitation process. Not physically. Otherwise we'd have to make, a, you know, make sure there's no Velcro on the roofs. But there's, 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 to catch our yarmulkes. There's, um, yeah, get with me. Okay, uh, so I think that's there, that's, that's, Tom here. You said, how do we, how do we discover what the anatomy of the soul is? Right. So that's like the big question, right? Now, in other words, so now what we want to do is we want to train ourselves spiritually. So we want to go into a spiritual gym. So we have to figure out, first of all, if a person like it's first time doing gym, he probably needs to be introduced to his body and explained, look, you know, you've got all these muscles inside of your body and we want to build them. What kind of, what kind of, you know, let me give you a, a, a kind of a model of what, what a good body will look like, what a strong body will look like, what a flexible body will look like. And then we'll do a, a, a workout based on what a good body will work out, but more specifically, what your body is going to work out. So, you know, if you, depending on your build, depending on your needs, if you know, if you're flabby, if you're thin, it depends, it depends what you need. You with me? So, what is that spiritual workout that we need to have? Like, that's, that's, that's a big question. Hmm. There we go. Okay. Good. Okay. Go now. Thank you. Well, I mean, Okay, so so comes Ariel and he says, Well, Siegel, you're making that this big dramatic pause, leaving us on a cliffhanger. Um, you are literally so stupid. You are stupid, like what are you talking about? It's like this is so obvious, and like Ariel's a respectful guy, so he didn't say those words, but that's what he really meant. Um, so so why are you making such a big fuss? It's you know it's a big six one three, mate. <laughs> so I, it could be I'm I'm not, I'm not it could be yes that that like that that's a very true answer, but I don't know if it's a helpful answer because this is a topic which I'm discussing now, and to most people in the room, I imagine it's brand new. Just like give me like by a show of like nods and like affirmation if that's true to you. It's brand new. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting Yisha, Yisha for them. For him, this is old hat, Yisha. <laughs> what are you saying, Yisha? What? What do you? Oh, you say I started my not. This is all you speak about. <laughs> <laughs> so for many of us, it's new, even though we're doing tarik mitzvahs. So I wonder if what's happening there. In other words, if if let's let's go with you and the tarik mitzvahs are the soul gym. We have to figure out how they work, because I, I think if we're not conscious of them, I don't know. If, I don't know. It's going to it's going to have an impact in some way or another. But but good good fetch, Tuvia. Um, well, I want to suggest that um, Adarada. Ua Adarada. Ariel saying is like on the contrary, like not how you get spiritually fit at all. That's not how you experience, um, you know, spirituality. Right. Like doing Torah mitzvahs, like I feel like that's something you do um, once you are in a sense spiritual, and then you use Torah mitzvahs to spiritually uplift your spiritual state. I feel like to get to the point where you're experiencing spirituality is by experiencing experiences and being present in those experiences. Like what you're saying, like the other day, like if you're on a bus, to not necessarily go on the phone and listen to music alone safer, but rather just to sit with yourself and experience experiences. And by doing that, you'll develop, you know. So you're saying there's a, there's a, there's a you're saying yeah, I'm not I'm not totally against train mitzvahs, at least in theory, but. <laughs> Practically, in order to get to the power of Tremitzas, there seems to be some kind of uh, pre-games yeah. that you need to go through, which is this this level of awareness and raw ability to 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 recognize who you are before you add on the the mitzvahs, which 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 perhaps perhaps resonates a little bit with the idea of Derech Eretz Kodmelatoya. Which means that there's there's a way of being that precedes the Torah. Sequentially, Torah is not the starting point. Torah is where you where you take it off from. I mean, and there are things to to, to assist that. For example, you only become obligated in mitzvahs when you have a sufficient amount of awareness, which is capped at thirteen for a boy and twelve for a girl. Um, so, so if if mitzvahs would just be a by rote action you probably saw much younger than that but you see that you need some level of internal maturity and awareness to be able to activate their power so maybe maybe Tuvi has a point so that's good we're exploring we're delving good as we delve further we're just going to fetch a question from Jakey Jones um, maybe somewhat of a hybrid you can suggest if like going with your muscle um, going with your mashal of the gym for your body gym that like Dafka everyone has should have their own tailored Plan for their own body because everybody's different. Right. Maybe this is really partial, but like also that Dafka for Neshama. Right. That like you need to sort of tailor your spiritual growth with how like identifying your Neshama. Right. So maybe certain aspects. So, of okay, we'll have to we'll have to see how far we can carry this marshal. In other words, if we look as mitzvahs as a workout for the soul, and let's assume that Tuvia is saying that yeah, but before you go to the gym, make sure that you, you know you've gone to the doctor to make sure that you don't have like, any major health risks. And that's what Tuvia stage, and then 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 mitzvahs are a gym for the soul. But you know, depending on what you're going in with, is what kind of muscles you have to work on. And then we have to ask ourselves questions like, well, okay, if we're going with this muscle, so then why does everyone have to daven three times a day? Why don't we just say, well, you got daven four times a day. You, it's enough twice. We we do see precedents of people that never used to daven uh, amongst Sedra Shimba Yochoi, for example. Um, 
They never used to interrupt their learning for davening. Um, so, so okay. Or, or we could say to go along with the analogy that yes, everyone needs their own specific workout. But you know, everyone's going to be working on abs. Everyone's going to be working on 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 you know chest. Everyone's going to be working on legs. And so it could be that there's certain generic workouts. But within those workouts, so then each person has to put in their nuanced twist. In other words, these are the exercises that need to be done. It's a finite amount of exercises that can be done to the body in, in terms of body workout. They can each one have their own like, flavor. But ultimately, this is kind of, you know, you, every gym has got more or less the same kind of equipment. There's like no gym which has got like a radically different set of equipment. Yesha, you've gone to the gym with a radically different set of equipment? No, you find that, that analogy quite funny. You want to share the funniness of it? You'd rather keep that to yourself. Okay. Um, yeah, so, okay, so, so let's, 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 let's come and see if we can stay with the marshal before we go a bit further. We're going to fetch something from Joel Herman. Normally I feel like it, I'm actually not, as you can probably see, I don't really get around gyms much. But, so modest, so um, modest, eh? I feel like the hardest part of gym, correct me if I'm wrong, is actually doing the actual exercises as opposed to being diagnosed by the personal trainer or your friend to say, you need to do more ab work or you need to do more leg work, whatever it is. But I feel like in the realm of the, the soul gym, if we want to call it that, or um, the hardest part is probably the diagnosis phase as opposed to the exercises themselves because who do you get to diagnose you? Do you have to diagnose yourself? Like where do you find your shortfalls? Beautiful. How can someone else see into you? Like An amazing like point, part. amazing point. In other words, what Jolly's raising is that when you're doing the physical body, a guy walks into the gym, he's like 30 kilos overweight. He's got this huge sagging belly and um, he's got like these massive arms and tiny legs. So you say to him, well, so he says, so, so what are you reckon, coach? What should I be working on? So he's not going to say, your arms. <laughs> he's going to say, okay, we're going to build up those legs a little bit and we can see if we can get rid of some of that belly fat. Um, and then then like, then you can start the program with the designers but like in order for me to do that with my with my soul I have to figure out well where's the parts of my soul that needs to be flexed which ones are like overweight which ones like are weak which ones need to be strengthened and how do you figure that out you need to know your soul to do that great question someone else had a question Gabe oh and I actually just had an observation that when you said you need a certain awareness for mitzvahs and that's when you turn 12 or 13 girl boy and that's why they call it a bar mitzvah Right, right. You're, you are now a son of a com the commandments. You're right, like a, you're capable of doing it. You can be related to it. You're like a son who's related to his father. You have this connection that is, you, you, can, you can inherit that, what it has to offer. Lovely. Okay, so that's, that's something. So in order to do this, I don't know how far we'll get with this, but I think we have to segue and study a little bit of Tanya. Because the the... <laughs> the first, the first thirteen chapters of the Tanya really, really go into exploring the internal anatomy of the soul. So now Joel's question is, well, how do I know? So until we, until we have an articulation, perhaps of what could be there, it's going to be hard for us to identify it. One, one of the best ways of um, learning about an experience is by giving the words to describe it. That's what I found from my. Um, from my life is that a vocabulary is such an empowering tool because otherwise experiences which are floating just underneath the surface of conscious accessibility when you give them words and you can say 
that yes, that's exactly it. So it's actually definitions and descriptions become immensely helpful when it comes to activating in our conscious mind parts of our persona. So it may be helpful to, to just peruse. We'll see. We, I don't know how far we'll go, what we'll do. I just think that seems to me a, 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 good, a good next step in our exploration. What do you, what do you reckon? Yeah. You shy? You probably... Hey? Protonia. You, Pro, protonia. 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 Knowing your like Mayanot background yeah. doesn't come as a massive surprise. Jakey, you love Tanya? Good. You can see us. So well, I've sensed that. Sorry? What happens in this room stays in this room. What happens in this room stays yeah, in this room, yeah. 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 The, the truth is, the truth is that <laughs> of all the Hasidism, um, the, the only Hasidism, which is like purebred literature Hasidism, is Chabad. Chabad is only Lithuanian Hasidus. All other Hasidus were already in Hungary, Romanian, Poland. But when they got to the border of Lithuanian, Lithuanian, they stopped dead in their tracks. Not because they weren't trying, but because, because the Litvak Jews generally were like, they were just too into Lambdas to be bothered by like stories and, and like songs and like tishas. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, give me a Gishmaka Gemara. Why, why are you wasting my time taking me to a tish? And the reason why Chabad spread like wildfire over, it, lit, uh, over Litta is because it's a very long Hasidus. It's extremely, extremely intellectual. And therefore, of all the Hasidus, Chabad is the one that has the Tanya, which is this comprehensive description of the entire world of the spirit. And how, I mean, in the Balatanya's introduction, he actually writes something which, which, which maybe we'll, um, we'll explore when, when we start. It may be a good way of edging ourselves into this book. So thank you for your... Um, your apt attention and I look forward to continuing with the help of Abishta tomorrow.